This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, Parts of Bereshit 5782, I'm going to apologize in advance. The reason why I'm apologizing is because I did not make enough copies of this sheet. I didn't have enough time today, so I apologize for that. If you want the sheet, you can email me right now at rabbizim at gmail.com, R-A-B-B-I-Z-I-M-M at gmail.com, and I can send it over to you, and that should be perfectly fine. Okay, Parag Beis Pasuk Yud. This is one of my favorite psukim. It took me so long to finally write about this and to sp- spend some time on this. Hoshana Rabba night. I spent a lot of time on this. I could not understand what this Pasuk says. And part of this is going to be informational, and part of it is going to be a complete remez. Venar Yotzim Eden Lahashkos Zagan. There was a river that went out from Aden to give water to the Garden of Aden. Yes, the Garden of Aden is where Adam and Chava were. Aden was another place entirely. No one has seen Aden. But the Garden of Aden, that's where the river came from. And from there it separated. After it went out to the Gan, it separated. It became four different ends of the rivers. The name of the first one was Pishon. It surrounded the air, the land called Chavila, where there was a lot of gold. The gold of that area was very good. There were other types, diamonds, whatever you want to call there, and onyx stones that were in that area where the Pishon River is. Okay, That doesn't give us much geographical significance, but at least we know there's a lot of gold there, there's precious stones there. Yud Gimel, Shemin Arashani Gichon. The name of the second river was Gichon, who was Sovevis Kolaritz Kush. This surrounded the land of Ethiopia. Now that does help us a little bit if Kush is the area that we think it is today, right? Gichon is a river that surrounds Ethiopia. Okay, that's interesting because we don't have that many rivers that go through Ethiopia, and those that are there are not very big, but either way, Yudalit, Shemin Arashlishi Chidekel. The name of the third river is the Tigris River, that goes east of Assyria, and that we do know which one it is. The fourth river is the Euphrates River. Again, both of those are well known, both in Babel, right? The Tigris and the Euphrates, each one branching out from a little city that's called Eden, actually, right around that area, not the real one, right? But at least from that area, they go out straight through there. Now, clearly, there's one river that goes out from Aden, right? And again, that's a place further from Ganadin, which we have never been to, which waters the garden, the Garden of Eden itself, and keeps it beautiful, as well as then becomes the four giant rivers that make up the main rivers of the old world. This is obviously not going to include the Amazon in South America. It's not going to include the Mississippi River in North America. Both of those are totally out. It's in the old water world itself. Sikta de Rebbe Kahana says its name, the name of the river that goes through Garden of Eden, is Yovel. Anybody know that? It's actually called a name. It's Yovel. Rabbi Elazar Kalir mentions it in a piyut by Tfilas Geshem, which only the very holy and <laughs> those who see the end of the Sefer, which they read, but it's called Yovel. And it says, tir, tir, it, the wording of Rabbi Elazar Kalir is, Tirgal me Eden nahar Yovel Mayim. And then Torah Shleiman number 190 brings it as well. The Zohar quotes Rabbi Hamnuna Saba that says the name of the river is Chaim. And it goes by the Eight Tzachayim. And the reason why it's called the Eight Tzachayim is because the river runs right next to it. It's the tree of the river of life, which I guess makes sense in a way. And that's that. Not only that, Yalkur number 411 also says it refers to a Malach 
Tahari, with the last part of his name being El, which is the Gematria of 255, which is the same as the word Nahar. That Malach is in charge of all the rivers in the world, and therefore he's the one in charge over here, and the river, the main river that flows out, seems to be under his charge. Thus, all the other rivers are by him as well. Miamluay says these waters came from beneath the eight Hachayim. Again, as we said, that the name according to the Zohar is Chayim, and it means drinking from it will bring good life from above. I would not suggest to anyone today to drink directly from the Euphrates or the Tigris River. As much as healing properties as it may have had in the beginning of the world, it is filled with feces and garbage now. Do not go anywhere near those rivers and do not drink from them unless you know exactly where the source comes from Gan Eden. And even then, I'd worry how much goes back. That is a very serious concern that I would have. If you've ever seen the Chicago River, I would stay away from 99% of the rivers of the world. I think that's a smart idea altogether. The Ibn Ezra says, before man was created, this river watered the garden and made everything sprout so that when man was there, all the plants were already there and that afterward, it was his job to water the garden. So therefore, the river didn't do that job. It went, so to speak, toward the side. And he davened for it to rain, allowing it to be by physical labor. The Sforno adds that as well. He says that these psukim, right, prove that Ganadin must be somewhere near the equator or south of the equator in order for that to happen, which is very difficult for us to understand. The Euphrates and the Tigris River, the only two that we know about, are definitely above the, the equator. Rashi translates Pishon as the Nile River. And I'm sure you've heard that before. That it's referring to the Nile River, that it goes through and it has all the gold. Where it stems from is the gold. You have all those precious stones, etc., the word is derived from the word Pashu, which means the river overflows. If you've ever seen a map, you can look it up yourself. The map of Egypt is absolutely unbelievable. It's literally one massive desert with one lush area where the Nile River, when it goes to the Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea, spreads out and becomes all over and it overflows. And that area is lush throughout all of Egypt. All of Egypt otherwise is a massive sand trap. There's nothing else there. The areas where Egyptian, Egyptians used to live, where now we have the Great Pyramid of Giza and the Sphinx, etc. is just a massive wasteland of nothing because they diverted the waters of the Nile River to that area. You should know it's a major concern nowadays because the countries south of Egypt no longer want the Nile River to flow up to Egypt and through the Mediterranean Sea. They want to divert the, the river for themselves. So this, the countries that are below Egypt are sort of taking over the Nile River and the, the Egyptians have to pay a tax bigger and bigger every single year in order to have the rights to the Nile River, which by definition, without it, the whole area would become the Sahara Desert. There would be absolutely nothing left. So that's supposed to be that. Pashu is to overflow. So it overflows and that's why I call the way. Nadav Racher, it's because you grow flax seed in Egypt. Pishton. So the word Pishon means an area where you go grow flaxseed, and that refers to the Nile River. The Sifzei Chachamim says it would be simpler to call the Nahar Mitzrayim the river of Egypt, right? And don't tell me, well, Egypt didn't exist then, because Kidmas Ashur, east of Assyria, Assyria didn't exist then either. So clearly it could have called the Nahar Mitzrayim. But it must be, he says, since we're calling it Pishon, there's an aspect to the river that we want to teach you about. There's something here that we want to tell you about that you wouldn't have known otherwise. And that's why we're calling it Pishon, to tell you something positive about that river. The Gurarie says, Shemo Echad, you get that from Paris Yosef, understands it from the word Echad, etc. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky said something really amazing here, which I never really thought about, but I guess it, it has to be true. When we want to figure out a certain place where something is, the Torah will use the word who to explain it for us. For example, 
who kol ela chavro emakasidim who yamamelach. They gathered by the Valley of Sidim. We don't know where the Valley of Sidim is because that name is no longer in our vernacular. It's not in, the, it's not in our geographic books. We don't have those. So they call it Hu Yamamelech. It's the Yamamelech that we know of today. Back then it was known as Emakasidim, but now it's known as the Yamamelech. So whenever you see that word Hu, it refers to this is what it is now. We call it that now. At the time it was that, that's that. Kiryas Arba, He Hebron. Same exact thing. Back then, that area was known as Kiryat Arba, and not like today. Today, we have a city called Kiryat Arba outside of Hebron. But back then, Kiryat Arba was what it was called because of Arba, the giant who had three sons, Sheshai, Achiman, and Talmai, the four giants that lived there because Arba himself. Does anybody know who Arba was, by the way? Arba was not Og. He was Ephron. Arba and Ephron are the same person. Ephron was a giant. He was the father of Sheshai, Achiman, and Talmai. Kiryat Arba. And later it was called Hebron. So it says he, Hebron. Everybody get that? Like, that makes sense, right? Because you just used the word who or he, etc. Over here, look at what it says. It says, Shema Echad Pishon. The name of this river was Pishon. This is the one that goes around the land of Chavila where all the gold was. It should have said, Hu Nachal Mitzrayim. Who Nahar Mitzrayim? That's what it should have said. It should have told us what the name is now. If he used the word who, that should be. And a second question of Yaakov Konetsky says, says Tosvos in Ksuvis Yudma Beis, says Ashur and Kush were not there in the name, days of Moshe Rabbeinu, even the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. Why would it say Kidmas Ashur? That land wasn't there before. And so too, Kolaritz Kush, that land shouldn't have been what they called it in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. So he says, Tosvos asked that question, how do they know? And that's how Rashi knew this who is being used differently. It must be used to describe why it's called Pishon rather than anything else. So right there, you have Rashi. Pishon is the Nile River, even though I I don't know if I would describe the Nile River as an area of gold, precious metal, and stones. But maybe back in the day, Egypt was filled with gold and precious stones or the area where the Nile River stems from all the way down right into middle Africa. There's tons of gold there and there's tons of precious stones there. That could be. But Targum Yonason argues. And now, again, we're dealing with hundreds of years apart. Targum Yonason is Yonason ben Uziel, who's the Rebbe. He's base Hillel. I mean, that's Yonason ben Uziel. Whoever wrote it, still wrote it, was a different, was still times of the Gaonim at least. Rashi is a Rishon. We're talking probably a, either a thousand or five hundred years apart. Targum Yonason says it's a river that surrounds Eretz Hindikia. Hindikia is, guess, from that name, India. It's clearly India. Abarbanel says the exact same thing. He calls it the Ganges River. He says the Ganges River, Ganges, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, I think Ganges, right? The Ganges River, the Indus River in India, that's what it refers to. We're not referring to the Nile River, we're referring to that. The Miam Louise quotes this and says it is a very wide river that splits off into hundreds. And again, do not go by what it is now. The Indians have totally destroyed their entire river flow because there's a billion and a half people there. So there's no way that the rivers today are the same way they were 3,000 years ago. It's not even close. But it was that, the Koresh, the king of Persia, Persia, you know, Cyrus, counted the amount of rivers that came from this river Genghis and counted 440 tributaries that came out from the massive river of India itself. He says, that's the shot. We're talking about Pisha, we're talking about that. And that makes a ton of sense. India is filled with gold. 
filled with diamonds, filled with all these precious metals and stones. That's what India is filled with. Even back then, they were an unbelievably rich area filled with minerals that uh, we can't even imagine. Part of the blood diamonds that they have out there where they're hiding most of the diamonds. India has a crazy amount of diamonds. Crazy. But they hide them to keep up the value, etc. And that's the conspiracy theory for the day, why diamonds are still so expensive when there are literally billions of them all over the place. Not for now. But regardless, that's the idea of what happened. He said that. The Ramban and the Bechor Shor, they also say, Chavila is not the Chavila that's mentioned elsewhere that's right by Egypt. The Chavila is in another place that's further east. He says, they say that this is referring to the Nile River. But the Ramban says it's not the same place. He seems to agree with the others that are saying that this has nothing to do with the regular Nile River. The Chizkuni calls it a place named Ophir. Now, we know Ophir. Does anybody remember the word Ophir, that place, Ophir? It's a Malachim Aleph Park Ches. It's where Shlomo Amalek went to go get all the gold. He got all his gold from Ophir. We don't know where it is. Some say it's referring to someplace near Tartar. Another, others say it's near Madagascar. Others say it's India. And of course, there's some that say America. I've never seen it inside that it's America. But it does make sense that they had a ton of gold there. Just makes absolutely no sense that Shlomo Amalek's ships would have sailed from the Red Sea and made it to America. That is extremely hard. Unless there was some pizzas of Derek going on. There is no way those ships were making it to America. But again, Shlomo Amalek, I've absolutely, I can't imagine going up after 120 or Shlomo Amalek says, we went to America. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm totally sorry. I should have believed you the entire time. So we don't know. Ophir is the area right around there, says the Chizkuni, but it doesn't help us whatsoever. We have absolutely no idea where that place is to help us with the river itself. With Aaron Marcus, quoted by Rav Aryeh Kaplan, says refers to the Karun, which flows through Iran into the Persian Gulf. If you don't know your geography, you're not alone. No one cares about Iran. So we have absolutely no idea what rivers run there. The fact that I called it the Karun, I could have made up any word I wanted. And you would have been like, oh, yeah, that, that's it. And that would have been fine. I have no idea where this is. I looked it up. I saw a little tiny river. I'm like, okay, it looks like a river. I have absolutely no idea. The Iranians might be fooling us completely. Rashi then goes on and says, Gihon, our second river, is a noisy, roaring river. The word Yigach means to gore. So Gihon means a goring river, like this river that goes out there. David Ezra says it's close to Eretz Yisrael, right? It was used by, by the people to anoint kings. We see a Malachim Aleph, Aleph Lamed Gimel, Mea Gichon. Now that is unbelievably strange because there is no real river Gichon anymore. Maybe there was a river Gichon that was r- running around there and that's the river that we're referring to, but we have absolutely no idea what it refers to. Josephus, however, brings down in his book that it was the river known as the Nile River. And the Abarbanel says the same. Remember, the Abarbanel said the Ganges River was the first one. So this one is the Nile River. But that also should get you. Remember how we said that one river turned into all four? We know where the Tigris and the Euphrates are. The Ganges River is over here. The Nile River is over here. It goes from down here all the way up. How in the world did those four connect? We'll get to that, but that's strange. Rosh says the Chidekel is the Tigris River. It's called that way because its waters are Chad the Kal, sharp and light. It allows a person who drinks from them to become sharp. It is a swift-moving river whose waters make a person a little smarter, and it's light. It doesn't have a heaviness to it. If you wonder, right, what does that mean, a heaviness? Anyone who owns a fish tank in Chicago knows the water from the lake in Chicago is hard water. What does that mean? It means you cannot have certain fish 
that live in other areas, they won't survive in Chicago water. You need to process the water. So what I do for my fish tank, because I have angelfish, angelfish do not live in hard water, is I have to take a couple drops. Whenever I do a fish change, you know, a water change, I have to put a couple drops inside to make it less hard, unless the angelfish are made in Chicago, whatever. That's another story for another time. But if you get the actual water, they can't stand it. There is hard water. There's light water. You can taste the difference. If you've ever tasted water from rivers, like bottled water, although, you know, don't trust that. Bottled water is most likely from the tap. But actual, the real good stuff, like the good stuff water that you can trust that actually come from somewhere and not just the tap with reverse osmosis. If you get real water, river water is light water. It tastes lighter. It tastes like clear when you go down. Tap water will taste a little heavier. You'll feel, you'll feel it if you really want to. And if you don't believe me, I don't care. Okay, I, I can taste this stuff. I was really into the difference between Nitivote and May Aiden and Ain Getty when I was in Artistral. And I'm totally into the difference between waters in different areas and whatever it is. And I like getting sick the first time that I go to a city. I like that. I'm okay with it. If you don't believe that's fine. But there is such a thing called hardness of water. Yeah. So, you know, like Michigan, you live on, it's called sweet water. Yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't have a taste. Of course it has a taste. There's a taste. It's there. Yeah. Well water is extremely hard water. You can feel it. You can feel it in your bones. Oh my gosh, it's so hard. It's like a 7.0 when you put down one of those things. Like it's a 7.0 that's huge. I'm not saying well water is better. I'm not having fish live in a well. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to do that. I'm not picking up well water, dragging it on my back with a little bucket, putting it in my fish tank. Everybody's like, what did you do all day? I'm like, got the well water for my fish. That's not happening. I'm just saying, like, as opposed to river water, it's definitely different. It's definitely, definitely a different thing. And then the last thing, guys, is the, oh, and that's that. Brachos, New Testament, Al says, the Gemara, the Gemara says, the people of Mechuzah were very sharp and very quick because they drank from the Tigris River. Again, don't do that today. Rashi says the fourth, the Pras, is the Euphrates River. And that's clear. I mean, I, I, everything should be, you've heard of the Euphrates River. That's well known. Its waters are parin Raven, says Rashi, they help a person become healthy when they drink it. Not now. It is not only good for people, he says, but it's great for plants and animals. It allows them to grow quicker and grow bigger. That's the idea. The most chashiv of the four rivers is the Euphrates River. It's recognized the border of Eretzisol in Parak Aleph, Pasuk Zion, and Parshish Devarim, as well as in Yud Aleph, Chavdalet. I believe that's Parshish Re'eh, right? In both of those. Mizrahi says that it's indicated from the word who, etc., whatever, but I'm not going to get into that right now. That's the Mizrahi. Now, there are ideas with the Bedolach and the Shoamar. We'll get to that in Parshat Sava a couple years from now. I think I gave a shir on it like four years ago on what the Bedolach and the Shoam would have been. The Bedolach doesn't necessarily appear there, but it does in Targumunklis. Forget about that for now. These rivers are nowhere near each other. How in the world could they stem from the original source, right? How could they come from Ganeden and be the four rivers that all came from Ganeden itself? Sort of Aryeh Kaplan in the Living Torah, you know, the safer, the, I've talked about this before, the purple safer that looks like it's from a reformed temple. You know what I'm talking about? Like, and it's got like those little trees going all over it. Like, I, it was like, what? Yeah, it's the greatest Chumash translation you will get anywhere. This is no offense to art school whatsoever. Art school is absolutely unbelievable, but the Living Torah is the absolute best translated translated Chumash out there. It is unreal what he does, what he did. Even the new art school with all the notes in the back and the pictures in the back, which are awesome, unbelievably awesome. Nothing compares to Arya Kaplan's, Arya Kaplan's Safer. So he says, the Mabel drastically changed the course of many of these rivers. 
Is that unbelievable? The rivers originally were in a certain place, but the marble drastically changes, and that's why they're nowhere near each other nowadays. You could have the Ganges River and the Nile River and the Tigris and the Euphrates because the, the marble changed everything. According to that, you might as well say, because I have nothing against it, that there was originally a Pangea where all the countries were connected to each other in some way, and then they drifted apart during the marble. Everything drifted apart. So you look and there's something there and Africa moved a little bit away from Asia. So in some way, it could be that the original source of the Nile River and the Euphrates and the Tigris and the Ganges River, even though they're literally thousands of miles apart, it could be that originally they did come from the original place. That's the idea behind it. The the oceans are rivers? No, 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 definitely not. Wherever they stemmed from, which would have been Ghanaian. The question that you should really ask is the Indian Ocean, which is that area, wouldn't that be where Ghanaian is then? If that's the area where everything was together at one point, then Ghanaian would have been Atlantis, that sunken, beautiful area that went into the ocean that no longer can be seen. I, that's certainly what it sounds like, but I'm not doing an expedition anytime soon. I'm just telling you that that definitely is what it sounds like, and I don't want anyone to think that I believe in Atlantis. It's all based on a massive mistake of Greek philosophers in the 2nd century BCE. There's no way that there was ever an Atlantis. So I know Marvel is going to kill me for this, but yeah, there, there is no Atlantis. There never was. Wait, is it Marvel or DC? Which one had Atlantis? Sorry, my bad. Okay, it's Chatoi and Maskira Yom. It's right after Hoshana Rabbah, after Yom Kippur. It's so bad, I'm so sorry. Torah Shlema says the same in number 193 in his notes. He adds that naturally, natural rivers change course so often Right, that even within a hundred years, their courses can be drastically different. Now, although that's true, there's no way that they can change continents. (laughs) Like that's really hard. So, for the four rivers to be a little bit apart now, like I can hear that. For the four rivers to be totally like thousands of miles away on different continents without them originally being together. That's very difficult to understand. That's that. But either way, the Miam Loes quoting the tour in Simon Reishkov Chastif Bays. I don't know anyone who does this, but he says that one should make the bracha of Osamasa Bracious when he sees any of those four rivers. You see the Tigris, Euphrates, the Nile River, or the Ganges. You'd, you would make the bracha of Osamasa Bracious. Now, because we have a Suffolk, we don't know which ones are which, I would probably make the bracha with Shem Bamalchus on the Tigris and the Euphrates. But I don't know if I would make it on the Nile. I guess the Nile Mimonokshach is either the Gichon or the Pishon, I guess. I guess it is, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we do that. I, I don't know anyone that makes a bracha, but again, I don't know anyone that's flying over the Nile River or the Tigris and the Euphrates. I have absolutely no idea who does that. But you would make that bracha of Osama's bracha. The Mugan of Rum there says, he poskins, you would do it not just by them, but by every major river. That means if you go by the Mississippi River, you would be chayiv to make a bracha with shame the malchus of Osama Sabracious when you see the Mississippi River because it was created by my Sabracious. It was created from the times of my Sabracious. That's an amazing shot, an amazing shot. And that would be by huge rivers, I guess. I, I, I don't know what other rivers it would apply to, but you'd apply by certain ones, yeah. What So oceans are also, you're supposed to make Osamas Bracious by oceans and by seas, by huge seas. The truth is, you probably can make a bracha by Lake Michigan. I got into an argument about this with Rabbi Cohn not too long ago. I'm pretty sure that somebody who would see Lake Michigan for the first time or Lake Superior would make a bracha of Osamas Bracious on it. It's the deepest lake in the world and it's huge, absolutely huge. Lake Superior is massive. I, I, I don't know why a person wouldn't based on that, but I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. And I look... 
Yeah, I, I would say just one on all four, on all five. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only by the source, I would say, by the source or somewhere like the Mississippi, the Mississippi River. There's no, it hasn't been changed for at least the last. We know the last 500 years, and the Indians have claimed that it's been there for thousands of years. I don't know if that type of a river could be changed. It's a very like the Mississippi River, especially where it goes, is a very specific area. Like it, that could be different than something like the Amazon, which the Amazon has clearly been changed over the years by earthquakes and everything that's happened because it goes like this. Like no normal river would do that. It looks literally looks like someone drunk drew the Amazon River. Like he was taking a line, he just went like like that. You know, it was like right around there. I don't know I, the Nile River as well. You're right. I, I don't know. You're right. I, I have not. I have not. When I've passed by the Mississippi River, meaning going to St. Louis or flying over it, I've made the bracha when I say, because when I go on a plane, I make those brachos, right? When you go over the Rocky Mountains, when you see, some people do over the Gobi Desert, but when you see the Pacific Ocean, for sure, the Grand Canyon, for sure, you would make a bracha of Osama Bracious. The Mississippi River, I do it without shame the malchus. I do bruch, baruch, Osamasabracious. That's what I say each time. Because it's an amazing river. It's huge, right? But that's, that's probably the best thing to do. By oceans, for sure. Yeah. The question is, you make by oceans, you make Hayama Gadol. They say that they used to make Hayama Gadol on the Mediterranean Sea. That's because they had no access to the Atlantic Ocean. You see the Atlantic Ocean, you'd be a Yama Gadol. The question is when you'd say it. Like if you're flying overhead and you see it right outside of New York, I probably wouldn't say it until I'm further out because parts of those are still the Hudson Bay, etc. You might make it on the wrong thing. I remember somebody sitting next to me on a plane when I was much younger made the bracha of Osamasa Bracious when he looked outside. And it was like still like I, we weren't even past Long Island yet. Like we were nowhere near, I think he was making it on like a tiny river and like, White Plains, New York. You know, so like, I don't know what he was making it on. But he was making a brook on New York. That's possible. I have no idea. Yeah. For like the Mississippi, would you be singing on its scale or on its impact to like civilization? I don't know. He's saying the wording that's brought down by the tour is because they are one of the four original garden uh, rivers of Ghanaian. And the Magad Abram adds anything that was created by Misa Baratius. And I guess these river, huge rivers were created by Mysa Baratius. That's what he seems to say. I, I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm not sure what to say. The Torah Tamima says it should be obvious it only applies by the first four. He argues with the Magen Abram, which he can. The Torah Tamima is a Rebar Kavshin. He lived about 50, 60, uh, no, uh, 150 years uh, uh, after the Magen Abram. But either way, the Oznayim Torah says from Shira Shirim Rabba, listen to this, Parachav Gimel, that before Enosh, remember, Adam, Shase, had Enosh. He is the grandson of Adam Rishon. In his time, in Enosh's time, at that time, they started worshipping Avodah Zarah, says Rashi. They started worshipping Avodah Zarah, and there was a flood that came and drowned out a third of the world. We don't know what that means. We have absolutely no... It was the Mabel before the Mabel. We don't have a date for this. The actual Mabel that we have took place in the year 1656 in our calendars, 1656 in the Hebrew calendar. This Mabel, we have no idea when it happened. Around the year 700, 600, 800, we have absolutely no idea. But at that time, there was something. And here's what he says. He says, the area around the Yamsuf, near the Indian Ocean, was all dry land. There were people living there. But they sinned and they caused that part of the world to be destroyed. And therefore, it's possible that originally the four parts of the river were part of that at one point. And the, 
not the Mabul, but Dor Enosh caused it to split off completely from each other. And that's the idea behind it. And that allows the entrance to, rem- to Gan Eden to remain hidden, even through Google Earth, because we can't see what originally was there by the times of Dor Enosh. Now, th- those who don't know this, it is a Medrash Rabbah. It's brought down the Medrash Rabbah. And you should know, this shot from the Oznayim Latora, I had years ago, he came before me, I know, but I didn't know that he said this. I had this years ago that Dor Enosh is the time when Pangea split up completely. And that's what it was. Meaning, if the scientists are correct that originally the countries were together, and South America and Africa are your proof to that, sort of. They literally look like they were just torn apart from one another. If that's good enough, then maybe this is the time when it happened. And if that's true... Maybe the Amazon River can be a part of this. Maybe the Amazon River was a part of this area, depending on where Africa was and where South America was. We have absolutely no idea. Anyway, but that's from the Oznayim Latora. I'm taking a little bit of liberty with that, but the Oznayim Latora says it. I, I, I've always had that, and I didn't know that Shir Shir and Rabba and Chav Gimel. Now, we got a bunch. The Malvum says when the world first began, people who wanted to travel away from their homeland would use the rivers to travel outward because you needed a water source in order to get from one place to the other, which makes a ton of sense. They would follow, follow rivers and see where it took them. Now, that. Although HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted the world to be a place where the ma- a man could concentrate on muskalos and do wise things and be smart, etc., the ability for them to choose a different path was given to them with the Eitzadas. The Eitzadas was there for them, and that's what the rivers were for. The rivers were there for man to make a decision, where Eitzachayim would be for them to sit and learn, the Eitzadas would be for them to go out and do whatever they needed to do in the world, and then bring it back, and then bring back with the Eitzachayim, etc. They would go to different lands, do whatever they need to do, bring it back, and then have from the Eitzachim. So there would be a combination. There, there was a purpose for the rivers even before Adam Rishon had sinned. Even before Adam Rishon had sinned. There would, there would also be those whose desire for wealth would trump everything they did in life. And says the Malbim, that's what Pishon stands for. Things that have no intrinsic inherent value. Like, let's just say gold. Why is gold valuable? Why is gold valuable? Why is there a value to gold? Why is there a value to diamonds? Why do people spend money on diamonds? If, if anyway, and truth is, diamonds, and I just read a whole thing on this, diamonds, by far, is the biggest Ponzi scheme there could be out there in the world. I'm sorry? It's special, but forget about that. Why is a diamond worth anything? Because you think it's pretty? A piece of glass is pretty. Why in the world is a diamond more? But those De Beers, the people that originally made diamonds, they said, Diamonds are a woman's best friend. Diamonds are forever, right? Diamonds will last forever. Therefore, how could you get engaged without a diamond? Nobody thought of it that well. Why in the world? Before that came out there, no, what in the world is the point? It has to do with its ability to, to refract light, right? It's a prism. Beautiful. You can find other prisms gold, in nature. But why? Why? But you have so many other things that are. What I'm saying is, is that there is well, nothing, just gold. Nothing like gold. Fine. You know what? I'll cede that to you. How about every other precious stone? (laughs) Only because I'm willing to attribute value to it. Yeah. So so what I'm saying is, says says the Malbum, that's what Pishon is. Pishon, the land of gold and precious stones, etc., right? That refers to a person who would chase after everything they want. They would chase after anything they wanted to over here. Now, Gihon... That word Gihon is somebody who chases after their desires. They want to do anything they want to do. Why Gihon means that way is a little bit of a difficult line from the Malbim. He goes into it. You can look it up yourself. Chidekel are those who choose honor and leadership qualities. They're trying to do all those types of things. Now, all those three rivers are Kinnah, 
taiba, and kavod. The three things that take a man out of the world. It leads up to pras, which is to be para varava, to, inclu- to concentrate on wisdom and yiras Hashem, and to grow every day of your life. And that would explain the obvious differences in the wording. Did you guys notice this? Right? The first one... Pishon, Huasov is called because of Chavila Shor Shamazov. Zavar is a Yito, Shal middle of Evan Ashoam. That's a lot for just one river. Sheminar Shani Gichon, Huasov is called Artskush. Sheminar Shil Jichideko, Huahol Kid Masashur. Naravi Pras. What happened there? What happened with the fourth one? The answer is because the first three stand for Midos, which are not positive. The Pras, the fourth river, is just what it is. That's the one that nobody thinks about, and that's that. And then comes the Nitziv. You've got to hear this, Nitziv. This is unbelievable. Nitziv wonders, what in the world is the point of this Pesukim? There are tens of thousands of rivers out there that don't flow from Gan Eden, that give life to all the people around them. We need to know what these four rivers are. Does it make any difference if I drink from these four rivers or any of the other rivers out there in the world? No, of course not, says Nitziv. Why are these four pointed out? What's the point of even telling me this if it won't affect us at all and we don't even have it anymore? I don't even know if it lasted for more than 500 years after it first happened by Gan Eden. What in the world are we doing over here? In fact, in Bechoros, it says that Pras was the original river and all other three stem from it. The other three rivers stem from it. What does all this mean? He says the following. This is absolutely unbelievable. This is one of the best Nitzivs I've ever seen in my life. He says, Gan Eden Atachton was originally created to be the reward for people after they do the right thing. It would be for their spirits, for their nefesh, so to speak, for them to have something after they did something great. This is not the reward of Olam Haba. That's for the neshama of the tzaddikim, those neshamas of those tzaddikim that do unbelievable great things, that are davuk to HaKadosh Baruch that was always supposed to be Olam Haba. That's a much higher level. But Gan Eden was still going to be a reward for the people and the nefesh, the ruach that would be out there. Now, let's be careful about this. This is absolutely unreal. The schar is spread out to four different types of people who will be rewarded after their death. Maybe even while they're alive in this world. They'll get something, something, some form of spiritual pleasure they'll be able to get in this world. The four are, number one, those who are wealthy. Number two, women, slaves, and babies. Now, be careful when I say that. I, don't just take me at face value right now. Number three, chashuv people work for the tzibor and do tremendous amounts of chesed. Number four, those who are zocha to become the merkava for the shechina. Being one of those first two or three does not mean you're not in number four. Any of these categories can be added on where, let's say, for example, if a person who's very wealthy acts for the tzibor and becomes a merkava for the shechina, they get rewarded as number four. A woman can be rewarded if they become a merkava for the shechina as number four, like sorry, menu, ripke, menu, rachel, leah, etc. You can be any of the four. So when I say this, don't take it at face value where I'm like, oh, women are not. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, there are four levels altogether. There are four levels and each one has its own thing. This applies for Jews and non-Jews alike. And those that live for the first 2,448 years of the world before the Torah are all included in this and possibly even afterward as well. And they're all included in what the message of these rivers are. Number one, Pishon. It refers to people who use their money wisely. Remember, we said this is the place where the gold is and the fine stones, etc. They spend it on the right things. They give to the poor. They help out others when they're in need. Even when they're doing it, even though they're not doing it because the Torah tells them to. They do it because it's the right thing to do. Because again, if you do it because the Torah tells you to, and you're becoming a Merkava for the Shechina by doing mitzvahs in this world, then you're automatically in category number four. But a guy who's wealthy, who feels it's the right thing to do, I'm going to give my money to other people because how I should use it just for myself, a Bill Gates type. 
a Bill Gates type, who gives a lot of money to causes, some of them good, some of them terrible, but he does gives a ton of money to great, great things in this world. Could better? I'm sorry? Why is that person not greater than the person in category? Total? I, I'm not going to answer that question. So, uh, no, 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 a merkava for the Shekhinah, you're working for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as opposed to just doing something because you think it's the right thing to do? Who are you? Since when do we become subjective? We're objectively listening to what the Torah tells us to do. We don't just get to decide things. That should be obvious. I don't know. But this is the one who's kind because of that reason. He gets the gold of this world. That's tov in comparison to other people. But it is not the highest level because he's doing it on his own. It's his own das. Such a person, he'll get rewarded. He's going to be, become, he, pro, he will get tov. He'll get great things, both in this world and possibly in the next world. But there's things that are missing. He's still missing something great. Second person, Gichon, is someone who bends himself over to listen to someone else's will. And the truth is, that could be any of us. Because any of us who have to abide by a country's laws is automatically an eved to those laws, let alone someone who has parents who are telling him what to do or a boss telling him what to do. And if he lives his life humbling themselves in front of other people and allowing them to make the decisions because, look, that person's in charge. I'm not going to fight him and does that, that person will allow himself to be in Gan Eden HaTachtam. That's why it's given to the land of Kush who had been slaves for many, many years. It's the river that surrounds Kush for that reason. They're rewarded for this as well if they serve those superior to them with all of their heart, knowing that they're doing it. I want you to think about that for a second, how the Nitziv is putting that. That means that anyone who allows themselves to be subjected, where they're not making the decision, someone else is. That other person could be making the wrong decisions, but he's humbling himself to that person, still may have a chilek still has something, even though they're in the entirely wrong position. That, to me, is a pillow. I, I'm, I'm floored by that, but at least that's there. Hold on, Shlomo. Chidekel refers to those who are quick and very willing to lead, which is not for everyone, who are doing things for the good of the tzibor, even though they gain nothing at all. They get rewarded in this world and in Ganeid and Atafton. If you notice, the first one he just said was in this world. The second one, only Ganeid and Atafton. The third one, right, is in both. Although there's still something missing because they're honored for that work. And that's what it means by Ashur, Kidmas Ashur. Ashur means wealth. They get something in which recognition is given to them. They're known as X, Y, and Z. That already takes away something from the highest level that they can be on. And number four, we have Pras. People that do a ton of mitzvos, good deeds, constantly learning. Doing it for, because that's what the Torah tells me to do. They're following the right reasons. Again, the first three, any of those three, if they include the fact that the Torah tells me to do it, will be in this fourth category. But if they don't, if they do it on their own, then they're already in first, second, or third category if they're following something else. They'll get a small reward in Gan Eden, but their real reward comes afterward in Olam Haba because they're doing things for those reasons. That's why this river surrounds Eretz Yisrael itself and why it represents that. This may be reserved only for those who keep the Torah properly. These are the ikr of the whole world. The whole world is made for them. And that's why there's a medrash and the Gemara Bechoros that says that really it's the Euphrates River that came out of Ganeda. And that split off into three because it was really all about the river Pras. And that's the idea behind it. Now, 
I'm going to tell you very quickly. There is a Bracious Rob over here in Tazayan Dalit. It's huge. There's a Tzorohar Mor that goes into how this refers to our heated desires, our desires within us. The Chsam Sof refers to the learning that a person does. That Rug Zabosam says it stands for everything that a person does in Torah. The Agyonus Agirshuni says there are four ways that a person can receive the goods of this world. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says that now refers to all the Avos. Each one of the Avos are mentioned over here. Yalkurveni says refers to the Malachim of the Kisakova, the four Malachim of Michal, Gabriel, Rafal, and Uriel that surround the Kisakov, but he goes into that. Rav Zusha Mehanipal said that Aden refers to the Baal Shem Tov, the river was his Talmud, Rav Dov Ber of Mezerich, the Gan was Rav Zusha's brother, Rav Elimelech of Lezhensk, the four Rosham, and the Chosim Lublin, the Magad of Kuznets, Rav Menachem and the Rubinov, and the Oiv Yisrael of Apt. Don't ask me why certain people aren't mentioned there. I have no idea. But that's what Rav Zushimayanipal said. That's what it refers to over here. It also could refer to that. What I'm going to end with is something like this. The Rosh Mibels says the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur would be Machavin de Seyakadosh Baruch whose name's using the Nikudos of this Pusuk of the four rivers that come out from Gan Eden. I have no idea what he means. If, I, I tried counting it if it was 72, but the truth is, even that's a little bit off. Because when we say the 72-letter name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's really 216 letters. It's 72 words that are comprised of three letters each. So it's altogether 216 letters. That's the 72-letter name of Hashem. And when some people refer to it when it comes to Yud Kei Vav Kei, then it really refers to how to spell it out. Like, it's Yud, Yud Vav Dalid, that's 20. Hey Yud is 15. Vav Yud Vav, which is 22. And then Hey Yud, which is tw- uh, 15. So 15 plus 15 is 30, plus the 20 is 50, plus 22 is... 72. And that's really what it referred to by the Shem Ayin Beis. I don't know what it refers to. But the Rashmi Bell says that he was machavin to say Hashem's name using those nakudos of this Pasuk. The Nar Yotze Me'edin Lahashkos. And that causes all the Shefa to come to us throughout that year. The rivers that come out, the Shefa that comes out, comes from this. And he says that there are male children that come from it, which is why this is brought by the Rabbeinu Ephraim and Rechaim Paltiel as well. The First letters of Vinahar Yotze Me'eden Lahashkos are the letters Vayamol, Vav Yud Mem Lamed, to refer to a bris mila, that if a person is able to concentrate in this puzzle, this is how the Rashmi Bel, the Belzerebbe, the first Belzerebbe says, if you concentrate in this puzzle, you, you will be Zoha to have male children that year during Parshas Barashas. It's unbelievable, unreal. I think you need to be married first. But th- th- that, that would be something that's there. The Mida that allows this to happen, he says, the Mida he goes into Yosef Atzadik, which is why, that's why Elioanov, he comes to every bris and he goes on. The word Shalom by Pinchas has a Vav that's broken that looks like that Vav of the Yisod of Yosef Atzadik for the bris Mila and the Rashi Tevis of the words Lahashkos Es Haganu Mishami Paredes Eliyahu to show that he will be there for every son's bris. Can you imagine what's going on in this passage? This, this is unbelievably crazy. And I skipped the Abir Yaakov, the Rabbi Yaakov Abu Chatzir. I didn't want to even go into it because I figured that it was going to be way too crazy to go into. But this is the idea. So what we did is we explained those four rivers, where they could be, where they could be, and why they're not connected to each other nowadays with three, two, possibly three reasons. We went through the Malbim's explanation of this Pasuk, the Nitziv's explanation of this Pasuk, and then this final idea of how this could refer to somehow doing something in a special way can allow something to happen unbelievably well from this Pasuk of the rivers coming out from Ghanaian. Shkai, everybody. We'll down the Marv now.